and the young man had forgotten exactly when he had gone swimming with the sharks. He had written a few lines in the logbook afterward, but it was undated. Once I floated among the yellow salt weed, balanced between sea and sky, while sharks flew in parabolas and grinned at clown-striped pilotfish. The sharks had not been aggressive. They seemed as lethargic as all the other marine creatures here, as he himself was. Consequence had been severed from action. He spent most of his days in the shade of the cockpit awning, studying the strange animals that lived among the sargasso weed, ten feet long sea worms with thistle heads, paper-thin white fish that exploded into confetti if he touched them with a boat hook, transparent fish with clearly visible skeletons and organs, suction-headed eels, jellyfish more delicately beautiful than orchids, lizard-like fish with overdeveloped pectoral fins, which they used to crawl through the weeds like lazy amphibians, plants that appeared to be animals, and animals that looked like plants. Not a day passed that he didn't see something queer and wonderful. At night, the sea sparkled with bioluminescence, flashing here and there with a cold green fire. At night, too, he noticed that all around the horizon a thin blue radiance burned, as if it were still daylight just beyond the limits of his vision. And at night, before the batteries were drained, he used to listen to the radio. Sometimes he heard voices urgently speaking German and Spanish and Portuguese, but more often the radio emitted curious hums and keens and purrs and whistles. It was like a new kind of electronic music. He wrote letters to the world and posted them in bottles that remained drifting alongside the boat. One day he saw a girl in a large yellow life raft. He gazed at her through the binoculars. She was thin and sunburned, with cracked lips and hair that had been bleached snow-white by the sun. The next morning, she was still out there. Sometimes he tried to obtain his position by sun and lunar and star sights, but they never worked out. It was strange. The sextant was not damaged. He certainly could not question the HO214 tables. Still, every time he worked out a sight, the result was ridiculous. They placed him in the center of the Mato Grosso, or near the Seychelles, or well up on the slopes of Mount Kenya. He wondered if the air here refracted light in such a way that it became impossible to take an accurate sight. Perhaps, in some inexplicable way, he was sighting on mirages. Absurd. Yet the atmosphere was peculiar here, bright, pellucid, but with a certain indefinable density. It did really seem that the light was penetrating something far more viscid than air. Not that it mattered. He was possessed by a heat-drugged indifference. It was not apathy, He was not bored or unhappy. It was mostly a kind of sensual indolence, a half-sleep. He felt himself submitting to timeless time and unintelligible space.
The sky tilted, and a shadow absorbed the sun. Night now, the stars shining like backlighted gems, violet and blue and amber, and dim electric blue fires raging all around the horizon. One morning, he came up on deck and saw that the yellow life raft was only a few yards off the port beam. The girl shyly turned away from his stare. She was starving. Her joints looked disproportionately large, and he could see her skull, a death's head, outlined beneath her sun-blistered skin. Her arms and legs were spotted with raw red sores. At dusk, the raft was still there.